God, what do I even say? Fuck. My name is Jamal Wilson. I am 28 years old. I'm out here in... I don't fucking know. Uh, I'm lost out here. It is... It's dark. It's cold. And I'm all by myself. Me and uh, a couple of my friends, we came out here. It was our high school reunion. We rented a cabin. And I thought... Fuck, man. We just wanted to get away from home. Fuck, 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 fuck. Shouldn't have come out here. They're all gone now. Uh, I keep seeing them in the woods out here. I know they, they can't, it can't be them, though, because they are dead. I watched them die. I, they gotta be dead. If you are seeing this, that means I'm, I'm gone. Something happened to me. I don't know. I guess I'll be dead. At least I get to be with Travis. I guess I, I don't even know if it works that way. I am, I'm so, so sorry. I, if you are listening to this, I just, I need you to know what happened to us. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but it's after us. Welcome to another episode of Tales Yet Told, an actual play podcast dedicated to telling weird and fun stories full of imagination, thoughtful characterization, and inclusivity. I am your lone player today. Actually, I'm, I'm, it's just me, Kendrick, or Kendo if you prefer. I use they, he pronouns, and you can find me everywhere on the internet at Kendo Makes Films. And you can find this actual play podcast, uh, well, you're listening to it right now, but if you're looking for it on its socials, you can find it on Twitter and Instagram at Tales Yet Told. This is a solo game. I already kind of said it, but I'm, I'm playing by myself today. This is new territory for both of us, both the, the podcast and myself. I've, I've never played a solo game ever, actually. I'm a little nervous. I'm finding it kind of hard to um, <laughs> figure out like how this is going to go. Uh, I usually play with other people. I'm an improvist by nature, and usually that requires me to be with another person and kind of bounce off of them and the energy that they give me. So doing something by myself is a little nerve wracking <laughs> just because I haven't really done any kind of like large creative activity by myself and like quite a while actually i think it's going to be fine i think we're going to have a good time here and we'll uh, kind of figure it out i believe in you you believe in me and we're kind of in this together thank you so much for being here actually that's uh it means a lot to me Okay, so let's actually get into this. Today we are playing The Dark, a solo game by my, actually a good friend of mine, Kirby Franklin, of Disaster Tourism. Kirby is a, an amazing game designer, a very good friend of mine. They are actually kind of the reason I'm even doing this. They got me into indie tabletop RPGs back when I was still just a, a lonely little creator on TikTok trying to find my niche. And I was, uh, you know, super into Dungeons and Dragons, as a lot of people are. And then Kirby, as well as a lot of the people that I met through them, including uh, my good friend uh, Ibrahim, if you listen to Prayers in the Static, 
Kirby is a, a, an amazing, an amazing friend, really helped open my eyes to the wide world of tabletop RPGs and indie TTRPGs. I've always wanted to play one of their games, and this is me playing their game. Uh, the Dark is a solo horror RPG where you, or I guess I, am playing the last remaining survivor trying to escape the terror known as the Dark after my group of friends all die on an excursion or something. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, kind of like, a like, a am the, I'm the last, I'm the last, there's a name of a trope that goes with this. I don't remember what the name of that trope is off the top of my head. It's usually like the last girl or something. I guess that's me. The last girl. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the dark is a solo tabletop, uh, role-playing game about loss, isolation, and coming to terms with your mortality and of those you love in the face of an oppressive and preternatural darkness. Yeah, so this is a game. I got some candles around here. I'm going to be blowing these. Uh, I guess I can just kind of explain. So this game uses a deck of standard playing cards with a singular joker, a six-sided die, and a four-sided die, four candles, 12 strips of paper large enough to jot small notes on, and a pencil to write with. Uh, so yeah, I've got my four candles around me. They aren't lit yet. I am playing in what is primarily the dark. Uh, my, you know, computer screen's still lit. So I can actually, you know, read some of my notes and my things here. But I do have these four candles that will light everything else uh, once I'm like actually playing, playing the game here. So the way that this game works is that I will have four candles set up here. They will be lit. And during the turns of play called hours in here, I'll be rolling a D4, which tells me how many cards I need to draw from my deck. And I will draw cards. And much like a lot of solo games, uh, each of these cards goes to a specific prompt that I will be kind of answering and building out the narrative of my kind of uh, escape from the darkness here, kind of exploring also the relationships between my friends whom uh, I've lost to the darkness, uh, allegedly, and the memories of my lover, a person who died before now, but is kind of grounding me in this uh, during this journey, or not really a journey, it's more of a escape from everything, you know? <laughs> For each of the friends that I'm going to have, each of them will have a memory and a strain. Uh, each friend is also tied to one of the suits. So when I draw a card, let's say I draw the four of hearts, the four of hearts goes to my childhood friend and will give me like a little prompt to talk about them through uh, that card. And so in this way, I will be building up my relationship with some of these other uh, characters that we will kind of be making up as we go through answering these questions. And every now and then, one of the cards are going to ask me to roll a d6. And when I roll that d6, if I roll a six, I have to blow out one of my candles. And if all four candles go out, that means I lose. Lost to the darkness, never to return. And if by some happenstance, I draw the Joker, that is the card that represents my lover. And there are some specific rules with that that we can get to once uh, or if I even actually draw one of those things. So yeah, I guess, I mean, other than that, like that's really kind of it. I've already given names to each of my childhood friends or each of my friends, I should say, they aren't all childhood friends. I haven't made any information about them. I'm just gonna kind of let the, whatever the, cards kind of prompt me into making up about them lead the story so we will be learning about my character and all these other characters and their relationships basically together isn't that fun i don't really know what else to say here i think um i think it's just time to do it step one 
set up four candles and light them. I am shuffling my cards. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Gotta make sure they're all nice and mixed in. Rolling the first D4. That is a one. So for the first hour, I only need to draw one card. The King of Spades. Spades goes to the school friend. For me, Robin. You pull out your wallet and finger through the billfold, grasping at anything to root you in the reality that you know is out there. What do you find inside that gives you the tiniest measure of hope? If you find nothing, how does the darkness fill that void? Standing in the middle of the woods, just outside of the cabin that we rented for this weekend getaway, I fumble through my wallet and I pull out a picture, a picture of me and Robin. It's a couple of years old, faded by time, a Polaroid camera. We had gotten it for a summer vacation that we had had years ago at this point. We were still kids then. We told ourselves that after high school, you know, maybe even after college, we try to do another trip out there. We never got the chance though, but maybe I can still make it to the ocean again. That is the end of the first hour. Now, I will roll another d4 for the second hour. Another one. And it is the three of diamonds. The diamonds is my childhood friend, Byron. You see stars circling, but they're from within you, not above you. The dark is pushing, pressing, suffocating you. How does this moment tie to the strain you have with this friend? I feel dizzy as I realize that I haven't breathed in so long, not because I couldn't necessarily, but somehow I had forgotten that I wasn't. As I open my mouth, trying to wheeze in, try to suck in any amount of air to fill my lungs, finding it hard to push out against the pressure that is keeping them closed. I feel dizzy standing here as I realize that the sky above me is spinning, my head feels light, the world is moving around me, and I didn't notice that I wasn't breathing. My chest has a weight against it, pushing it almost as if I was being clasped by something invisible, something unshakable. I realize I haven't felt this way since I remember my mom telling me that she didn't think that Byron was actually my friend. It was a thing that I hadn't thought too much about until she had brought it up. I always wanted to hang out with him. I would be the person to call him to, hey, you want to come over to my house? Or, hey, my school's having this event. Do you want to come? But he never did the same in return. He never asked me if I wanted to hang out with him. He just showed up when I asked. And I guess now that I think about it, it means that, you know, at least he showed up every now and then, I guess. And I will now roll a d6 for the candles. That is a four. And that is the end of the second hour. And now I'm going to roll another d4. Two. The six of diamonds. Fumbling through a long, narrow tunnel of stone, the dark seems to recede within, giving you a moment to collect yourself. 
One moment of this friend's strain brings you near to tears as the dark recedes from you. As I stumble around the woods, trying to find a way to escape this darkness, I find myself almost falling into a sewer tunnel, and I crawl my way deeper into its depths, away from the darkness outside. I feel so lonely. I am the only one that's left. It was like all those times that Byron didn't show up. It didn't happen a lot, but when it did, it it really sucked. I... I wanted, needed someone around. I didn't really fit in early on at school. And so that he was a friend that I had known for, for years in elementary school. And I thought it would be the same when we were in middle school, but it really wasn't. And I don't know if it was because of distance or if it was, you know, we just went to different schools, we were around different people, or maybe it was even before then. And I just didn't know. The Three of Spades. The school friend. You look down at your arm and it's missing. No, that can't be right. You look behind you and back at your arm and it was there all along. What runs through your mind when you don't see your arm? It doesn't hurt as bad as I thought it would. As I look down at my arm and I, it's missing there for a second, there's this moment that I'm panicked. Not because I'm missing an arm and I'm looking around for it, but I'm wondering why doesn't it hurt? I know it's gone, but it, that, that kind of thing should hurt when you're missing a part of yourself. It should hurt, but it doesn't. I rolled my d6 and got a six. That is the first candle gone. And that is the end of the third hour. Three, the ten of spades. You flip through photos on your phone. As you take a moment to breathe, you see a group shot of all of you, but you have your arm around this friend. They have their arm around you. How does seeing this photo after all that has happened make you feel? I wish Robin and I spent more time together after high school. She was really cool, and I feel like a lot of the reason that I am the way that I am or kind of turned out the way that I did for better or worse was because she was in my life and she added so much, but time and distance does that. It pulls you away from people, even people that you think that are going to be there for the rest of it, but it doesn't. The ace of clubs. Clubs is the work friend. You hear a faint buzzing, like a hundred flies, only it's not flies, it's lights. You hear a sound drilled into your head, the sound of those lights from your workplace. It begets a memory you had almost forgotten about, the first day you arrived at that job where you met this friend. A moment that, while insignificant, had shaped your entire outlook on your career and birthed a strong friendship. One of the things that really sticks out in my mind, having learned in college, uh, going to film school, was about sound, actually. Sound is so incredibly important in film and really any creative project that deals in it, the quality of it. And one of the things that you don't even really realize unless you are working in sound or like having to work around a lot of sound is that almost everything makes noises, especially electronics. It's actually a real problem on film sets. 
where you have to be very careful about where you are placing electronics that are actually plugged in and on around sound equipment because everything from lights, refrigerators, toasters, anything that's plugged in and is like kind of active is making a kind of a low electrical hum. And I remember being on my first film set after learning this. Robin was there. We were both uh, PAing on this uh, film set in our junior year in college. And, you know, we actually realized after that that we had uh, had a class together and before that actually had gone to high school together. We had just never really uh, run into each other before. But M was really cool. We liked a lot of the same movies and kind of interested in uh, different parts, but like kind of complementary parts. You know, I was getting really into cinematography and she really liked lighting. While she was helping out with the lighting apartment, I was helping out around sound and uh, we were trying to figure out where some lights were going to go. And the gaffer was like, hey, can you go put this over here? And she actually was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't because what about the sound of the lights around like this area where we were hoping to post up uh, with the boom? And I overheard her and, you know, that's when we started talking later during lunch and uh, figured out that we were both in the same class where we have learned that thing independently without realizing the other was there. I bring this up because I'm realizing that the light, the sound of the buzzing that I'm hearing in this sewer tunnel, it is the faint familiar hum of a tungsten light bulb somewhere deeper down. It's failing, but it's there. Maybe I can get it. Maybe I can find it. The Jack of Clubs. A low snarling comes from behind you. You turn, and what looks like this friend is on all fours behind you. They snap at your arm, biting your hand. How many fingers do they bite off, and how do you fend them off? And what do you think about when you see them attack you? As I turn and I see M mangled in a way that a human body shouldn't, bent in a way that a human body shouldn't, they reach out and bite my hand the arm that I thought was missing earlier. Fingers gone, three of them. I'm able to kick at her snout, scramble to my feet and run off, but I'm almost disappointed that she didn't stop me because then maybe this could just be over. That is the end of the fourth hour. Two cards. The Six of Clubs. You remember a moment from work when you and this friend stood up in defense of another coworker against your employers. What was happening to this coworker and how did this friend interact in that moment? There was this guy, his name was Jason, I think, another PA just like me and M and he got the talent the wrong coffee. And I don't really blame him because this particular talent was uh, known to be a bit of a headache to work with and also not very good at communication. He would say one thing one time and another thing five minutes later, completely forgetting that he had said the first thing entirely. And uh, Jason had, well, he had gotten a coffee that this particular talent wanted, but he got the wrong kind, one that he had asked for, you know, like a dozen times before, but apparently this time he wanted a different coffee. And well, it was Jason's fault for not making sure that he was getting the right coffee, I think. But M was the first person to 
say something in his defense while really putting the talent in his place. I, I remember that M would keep meticulous notes, basically of anything that anyone ever asked her to do. Uh, she would write it down just to make sure that she was doing it exactly right. And well, one of the days that Jason wasn't there, uh, M had to get this particular talent's coffee and well, wrote down a very specific quote saying, I always want a caramel macchiato with four shots of espresso and a little bit of whipped cream. If you ever bring me anything else, you're out of here. It was the first time I ever seen anyone actually stand up to them because, well, he was a real piece of shit. The Five of Diamonds. A set of footsteps rush up behind you. The tendrils of darkness swirl and form around you, the physical manifestation of this friend, but it's horribly wrong. What is it about this image of your friend that is wrong? I don't ever think I could forget Bobby's smile. He told me once that he had uh, fallen because of a skateboard accident. Uh, one of his teeth were chipped. Every time he smiled, it stood right there front and center, and it gave him this kind of, like, roguish charm, even. Like the kind of guy that you would see and you'd want to trust him, but he would look a little skeezy about it. But it was always a very comforting smile. He'd laugh a lot when we, whenever we were together, telling jokes back and forth, doing improv, or, you know, just trying to figure out what our next script was going to be. I don't think I'd ever forget this smile. It wasn't like this smile, the one in front of me, the aura of darkness around this person, a perfect smile with perfect teeth. A nine of clubs. A short climb up a wet rock face in the darkness reminds me of the strain between me and my friend M. How did the climb you took on that day add to the wedge in your relationship that you've never quite managed to reconcile? It was always hard trying to figure out where I stood with M. Whenever we were around each other, we really got along, you know. We were always cracking jokes and telling stories. We'd hang out, watch movies together. We'd work on a lot of projects together, mostly school projects, especially after we, you know, found out that we were in a lot of the same classes that we could work together on our projects, but I always seem to be able to find more time for M than they ever found for me. And every time I was trying to, you know, be a good friend, work on stuff with them, and I would ask them, hey, can you check out this project or do this? They would do it, but I could always tell that they weren't that interested in anything I was ever doing. It was like, trying to climb a wet rock face in the darkness. You never know how much farther up you have to go before, you, you know, you're there at the end of it. It's just always so hard to know where you stand with people. That is the end of the fifth hour. Three cards. The Ten of Diamonds. You take a moment to catch your breath seated on a rock. You flip through old voicemails on your phone as a distraction. The last voicemail is from this friend. What does it say? Hey, Jamal, I'm so sorry I missed our call. I, I know that we had been planning on it, but I, I took it like a three-hour nap after installing my girlfriend's washing machine. I just straight up passed out. That's my bad, homie. Um, when you get this, uh, let me know. Maybe we can schedule another time to talk. All right, see ya. The Five of Hearts. You stumble over the heft of something limp, 
Inspecting what lays there, it's the body of this friend, your childhood friend. They're headless, limbless, and torn open. You barely contain your bile as you look closer. You see a precious memento in their chest. What is this memento, and what memories do you recall of it? When Byron and I were in elementary school, uh, we had these things called, uh, like, clubs, kind of. <laughs> they weren't really clubs. They were essentially what I know now are, are like, role-playing games, where we would all make up our own characters uh, with, you know, stories and lore or whatever, and we would, like, give them all powers and relationships to each other. And during lunch and recess, we would go outside and we would play as these characters. I didn't really realize we were LARPing at the time, but that's kind of what we were doing. And I would keep all of the different like characters and stories and stuff that we would play out in notebooks. And I would give each quote-unquote club a, a notebook. And we all played gods that were somehow related to each other. And not like a world-creating kind of gods, but like emotional human gods, like Roman ones, except they were a bit more closer to anime Rome than actual Roman gods. Him and I were always brothers whenever we played those games, related to each other, always bickering amongst ourselves, but would come together at the very end to fight for what we both thought was right. I miss the times when we were on the same side. The Ten of Hearts. A prominent moment from this friend's past pops into your mind. You don't know why at first, but after a minute you realize what prompted the memory. What do you see in the dark that prompts the memory, and what is the memory? As I look down at the body of Byron, torn open, viscera laid about, and the golden notebook sticking out of his opened rib cage, I look around for his arms and legs. They've been thrown to either ends in this open field. There were many times that he and I would recreate the scene from the SpongeBob movie, where SpongeBob and Patrick would hambone to try to scare away the monsters that were preventing them from going to Shell City. But I guess he couldn't hambone his way out of this one. And that is the end of the sixth hour. One. The Joker. I was in love only once, but they passed. His name was Travis. He died in a car accident three years ago. The most profound moment that he and I had together was actually on our first date. It was the moment that I realized that I could really go through anything with him and it would be okay. We went out to eat. Uh, I had actually met up with him after, like, almost right after I was done with my job. I was actually still in my work clothes when I met up with him. Thankfully, my work clothes were actually kind of dress casual, so it ended up working out. We both got some food, had a few drinks. I remember that there was a moment of silence between us. We were silently eating and drinking, almost not looking at each other, and then we caught each other's eyes, and we just kind of smiled because, uh, I don't know, I think we both really just wanted to look at each other. And then he told me I was really cute, and he was the first person to ever say that. And, I mean, I thought he was cute too, so I said it back. And it was the first time I had ever called anyone cute, but it felt good. Now that the lover has been drawn, at the end of every hour, I will roll a d6. If the result is six, 
I will add a strip of paper to the card. And when I do so, I will write down a single word or a brief phrase that elicits an evocative memory that links to the prompt. For each ace that is drawn, the d6 result necessary to add memories to the joker is decreased by one. I've drawn one ace so far, which means that my d6 result needs to be a five. And that is the end of the sixth hour. Two, the eight of spades. An old truck rusted out from the inside was crushed into a tree, but inside was an old break action shotgun. It looks like it works, you hope. Have you ever used a weapon like this before? If so, when? If not, are you scared to? When I was in elementary school and kind of early middle school, I went to an all boys summer camp every summer. Camp Timberlane for boys. Every week you would choose four different activities to do for the week. And you would like every day, essentially, you would rotate between those four things. And quite often I would take riflery. It was really my only experience holding and using a gun but I always felt kind of cool, like a hunter or a sniper, being able to shoot targets. I don't know if shotguns are like that, probably a bit more of a kickback, but it'll have to do. The Nine of Spades. You stumble and fall into a rock, hitting your head and briefly losing consciousness. What do you dream about while you're blacked out? And what shakes you awake a few minutes later? Back in high school, my group of friends would always go to one of our friends' house uh, to hang out. They lived not too far away from our high school, and uh, they had a pretty big house, so it was a good place to hang out. Plus, they had a pool in their backyard. And every now and then, when the weather was right, we would go swimming uh, in my friend's pool. And, well, because there were quite a few of us, and we were all a bunch of rowdy kids, oftentimes we would play chicken in the pool. And there was this one time Robin and I were on a team with an, against another group of our friends, and she was on my shoulders. And... There was a point where while she was trying to push back against one of our other friends, trying to knock them into the water, that her weight shifted and kind of made me have to move backwards in order to keep my balance. And I started accidentally walking into the deep end as a result. And I got deeper and deeper into the water until I was almost fully underwater. And she didn't realize that this was the thing that was happening. And as I was trying to get her off of me so that I could come above water and be able to breathe, she, well, didn't realize that that's what was happening and did her best to try to stay on. And, well, thankfully, I was eventually able to get her off or else uh, things could have gone a lot, lot worse. I'm awakened by the sound of thunder a few minutes later. It's about to rain. That is the end of the seventh hour. Four cards. The Four of Diamonds. Inside the hollow of a giant stump, you find the rotting husk of a doll. You feel an uncomfortable sense of security and you tuck it into your jacket. Why does this call to you? This doll, it's not so much of a doll as it is a kind of a stuffed toy. It's an old stuffed Charmander. One of the same kinds that I had when I was a kid with uh, fluff or fire for its tail. And it's kind of big and stiff, can't really move a lot. And it's not necessarily comfortable to like kind of hold, but it's cool to kind of play with. It kind of act like it's a real Charmander. It's got a missing tooth. Uh, it's 
cloth teeth that pointed out as a bit of like a accent to it to give it a kind of 3D feel, but it was pretty fragile and the stitching ripped off pretty easily. I don't know what happened to that Charmander. I don't remember throwing it away, but I guess it must have been at some point. It was one of many toys that I kind of wish I had kept around. I have a lot of memories tied to them. Not necessarily good memories, but I remember them, and they remind me of a different time. I wish I had played with them more, so I could remember them better, I guess, but it's too late now for the rest of them. Maybe not this one. The Ten of Clubs. You reach into your pocket and feel the keys to the lodge you stayed in just before you left on this trip. What did the five of you do that last night in the lodge? It was the first time this group of people had gotten together. You know, I was actually the person that kind of brought us all together because we did technically all go to the same high school, despite the fact that some of these people never really knew each other. But I thought it would be cool to get them all together. We all kind of didn't fit in back then, so... Maybe we can make up for that. It was the first time I really drank with some of these people. Like, I hadn't seen Byron in over a decade, but he was in the Facebook group for our high school graduating class, so I was able to reach out to him. Well, I'm kind of surprised he actually came. Bobby and I drank a lot together, especially during college, so it wasn't really a first time for us drinking together. But seeing him and M get together and drink was pretty funny because they're both kind of wild people. Strong personalities really complement each other. And Robin, uh, well, she doesn't drink very much, so she had a good time, I think, being there, but I don't know if it was really her vibe. The Four of Hearts. A small outcropping of roots provides shelter as you stop to catch your breath. Byron and I had a deep moment of connection that has stuck with me for a long time. What was it? When I was in elementary school, like fourth or fifth grade, I remembered something that had happened to me. Something I don't talk about much and something I don't really want to talk about now, but I remember feeling bad about it. Deeply ashamed that I was in that situation. And I remember his response to that was this almost fierce protectiveness that he would be there for me. That if he even met the person who had done that, he would he would kick the shit out of him. He was a fourth grader. Uh, there's no way that he would have been able to. But it was the first time, and I think really the only time, that Byron ever really showed that amount of dedication to our friendship, put that amount of energy into it, really tried to help me feel better. And I'll always remember that. The Two of Hearts. The canopy opens above you as you enter a small clearing. The bright moonlight illuminates blood-red flowers all around. Silence becomes less disturbing, and for a moment you feel safe. This meadow reminds you of a moment in your past with this friend. What was it? Why does it give you a moment of respite? I talked to Byron a lot on the phone when we were still very close friends. I would call him at, you know, after I was done with my homework or, you know, almost even directly after coming home, despite the fact that we had just been at school together. There'd be times where I'd be on my way home from something and it was nighttime. And there's that familiar scene where you're sitting in the back of your parents' car, driving through the streets at night, 
passing by the street lamps as they occasionally illuminate the inside of the car. And I remember sitting back there thinking about all the things that I wanted to talk to Byron about as soon as I got the chance when I got home. And that is the end of the eighth hour. Three cards. The Nine of Hearts. You lose your footing and twist your ankle, limping to a stop. You see an actual path ahead, but the dark is surrounding it. What does the dark feel like as you peer down this path? Do you take the path or continue through the brush? Why? As I peer down this path, the dark feels like an embrace. A cold, menacing embrace, but an embrace nonetheless. It is dangerous. It is threatening. But it's there, at the very least. So I continue on the path. Because even if I don't make it out, it doesn't feel like I'll be alone. At least the dark is there. The Six of Spades. A thin needle of moonlight illuminates a grinning face in the canopy above you. This reminds you of a moment with this friend several years ago on a much different camping trip. Looking into the canopy, a thin needle of moonlight illuminates a grinning face in the canopy above you. This reminds you of a moment with this friend several years ago on a much different camping trip. Looking into the canopy of the trees, you saw a familiar face. What was it like then? The face. Your friend? The trip? How does it make you feel to remember that moment? In high school, we would sometimes take camping trips, especially during our junior and senior years. They were supposed to be kind of leadership retreats to be able to put us into the mindset of what it meant to be a upperclassman and having to lead the rest of the school or whatever. And I remember Robin and I would sometimes go off on our own whenever we had the free time to be able to, to talk about like weird stories or whatever we wanted to do, what was happening in our Dungeons and Dragons game, stuff like that. And I don't know, I always liked camping. It was a nice respite from everything that we had to do back at home. Didn't have to do homework, didn't have to do chores, could just kind of sit around and talk about the games we were playing eat s'mores. She had a very distinct face whenever she laughed. She would do the thing where her whole body would laugh with her, and her head would bob back and forth as her body convulsed with joy. I miss those trips. I miss her laugh. The Five of Spades. A warm heat rolls past you, followed by the freezing cold you've exhausted in. The same heat envelops you again, this time lingering for much longer than you would have wanted it to. You begin to sweat and itch before it eventually rolls away. This reminds you of a time not too long ago that the strain between you and this friend caused you to be intensely uncomfortable. What was this moment specifically? As much as Robin and I were friends, I think she was always friends with our other friends more than she was friends with me. And the reason why I believe that is because even past high school, despite the fact that we were such good friends and while well, everybody went away for school, she mean she stayed friends with them, not so much with me. Not that we weren't on friendly terms, it just she talked to them more than she talked to me. 
And there was a period of time post high school where we had some campaigns going between our friends. And well, we were going to play this game of Shadow Run, and she didn't invite me. I found out about the game later because, you know, one of our mutual friends was playing in it and was telling me a story about what happened. And when I asked her why she didn't ask me to play, she said she didn't think to, that she had just forgotten. And that is the end of the ninth hour. That is a five, which means I can now put a memory on the lover card. Vulnerable. At the end of our first date, I walked him home. He didn't live too far away from downtown, and so we both left a little drunk, or, well, very drunk, and we made our way back to his house. I wanted to make sure that he got home. So I left my car behind in the downtown parking garage, and we walked. We held hands the entire way. It was the first time I had held hands with anyone like this in the romantic sense. His hand was smaller than mine, I remember. And he walked alongside me as if he were proud to be with me, excited to be with me. I don't know if anyone had ever looked at me like that or walked alongside me like that. I never felt so vulnerable being in front of all of those people with someone next to me, so proud and happy to be with me. One card. The Three of Clubs. Ahead of you, a light gleams. Approaching, you hear the sound of unhinged laughing. The light disappears, but through the den, you recognize the voice as M, and immediately know why they are laughing. Why? They're laughing because I was never as successful as them. The two of us saw each other as rivals. We were obviously the best in our class. And despite the fact that we started working together on projects, there was always this question of which one of us is actually going to make it after this? Which one of us is going to be able to find our way into the industry and be able to make a name for ourselves? She won that bet. The answer was her. And that is the end of the 10th hour. That is a five, which means I can add another memory to the lover. Protective. I was able to meet his cat, Fennel. He was very, very cute, very cuddly as well. I always get along with animals, but something about Fennel was very, very cute and enthralled me even. The two of us sat together on his couch, kind of petting Fennel, drunk and infatuated with each other that the moment came where we looked into each other's eyes and we kissed. It was the first time I had kissed anyone like that, in a romantic way. And after we were done making out, we kind of passed out in our drunkenness. And I think I woke up like five, ten minutes later, and they were snuggled up close to me. My arm had fallen asleep under their weight as I had kind of pulled them in close to me. And I was trying to find a way to reorient myself so that blood can continue flowing through my arm. But the only real way that I was going to be able to manage that is if I was going to get up. So I tapped on their shoulder a bit, going to make the excuse that I needed to get up so that I could use the bathroom. And their head kind of rolled back a bit, putting more pressure on my arm. 
and thought it was kind of cute the way that they were sleeping. So I was just going to let it happen until they naturally woke up. But then I heard the sound of gagging, and I realized that they were going to throw up. I had watched enough Breaking Bad at the time to realize that this was going to be a terrible, terrible thing that happened. And so I pushed their head forward, and they vomited all over, well, me and them and their floor. I had stopped them from choking on their own vomit, but eh, I was a mess. But I was more happy that they were okay. I couldn't really just leave them there, so I picked him up, took him to his room, laid him down, and, well, I wasn't just going to stay in his house. It was our first date, after all. But I also didn't want him to wake up not knowing what had happened and him being covered in vomit, so I wrote a note, letting him know that I'm glad that he woke up and was reading it and was okay, and that I had, well, regardless of what had happened, had a good time. He called me the next day, having read the letter, apologizing profusely, and I let him know that it was okay, because I was just glad that he was safe. A three. Three cards. The Queen of Diamonds. This is not the fourth queen I've drawn. So I have tripped down a hill and sprained my ankle. I'll place this card face up and roll a d6 for the candles. The Nine of Diamonds. The air around me becomes thick and viscous. I feel a pressure within me begging to get out. How do I push myself through this? This isn't the first time I've felt this kind of pressure within me, bubbling up in my stomach, trying to get out. It feels like acid reflux, but I can barely tell the difference between that and a heart attack these days. My anxiety doesn't really allow me to do so. But I've gotten very, very good at trying to manage my anxiety. I take deep breaths. I ground myself by getting to my knees, feeling the grass beneath me, and describing how it feels to myself. The rain has made the grass wet. The mud is thick and goopy and feels like slop on my remaining fingers. The rain on my skin feels cool and wet. The wind feels refreshing. I breathe and I think about this. And I continue. The Four of Clubs. The wafting aroma of your favorite meal intrudes upon you. You follow it as best you can, but it leads nowhere. That simple smell, however, rejuvenates you, if only the tiniest amount. What is your favorite food, and in what way is it connected to M? When you are on a film set, there's only a handful of things that Crafty can really afford to continue to stock on a day-by-day -day basis. Stuff that's easy to eat, stuff that's refreshing, and stuff that gives you the sugar and energy you need to push through an early morning shoot or a late night one. Tangerines, fruit snacks, Red Bull, Capri Suns, coffee, and water. And there's something about the sweet, pungent smell of tangerines that really, really takes me back to the time sitting on set with M waiting for someone to come over and yell at us, saying that we weren't doing something that no one had told us to do, but were expected to do anyway. The Ace of Spades. The scratching of chalk on a chalkboard. The ringing of a bell. 
School was difficult for many. Was it for you? You remember walking the halls daily, often side by side with this friend, avoiding or confronting those who meant to cause you trouble. A specific moment sticks out as your memory floats in and out of the classrooms, one that you could possibly never forget. What was this moment? How did this friend help you survive your school years, and how does it make you feel knowing the chances of seeing them again are nearly gone? My high school and middle school, since they were the same school, had an auditorium that was right next to the lunchroom and connected both the high school and the middle school buildings. And above this auditorium was kind of a balcony that also connected the two buildings, but from a floor above. And before and after every school day, we would walk back and forth on this balcony, just kind of doing the rounds, just talking, not really doing anything specific. It was just good to walk back and forth like that. And it was during one of these periods that Robin first told me about Dungeons and Dragons. She was recommending me a set of videos by a content creator that we were watching at the time called Spoonie, who was mostly on the channel SpoonieExperiment.com after he had separated with Channel Awesome. And he had this series called Counter Monkey, talking about all the tabletop games he had played back when still working at a comic shop uh, during his late high school young adult days. And that's how I learned about Dungeons and Dragons, which, well, I guess kind of dominoed into me really caring about tabletop games and attempting to find a community in that. I owe a lot of who I am to Robin, and I don't know why I don't reach out more. I think we still would have been very good friends if I had. And that is the end of the 10th hour. Because there are two aces, the number on the d6 that I need to roll in order to add a memory is four. I just rolled a four. Exploratory. Travis was a vegan. And that didn't mean going out to find places to eat was hard necessarily. We could always find a place that had some vegan options, but when it came to cooking, it meant that, well, whatever we cooked had to be vegan. I learned a specific recipe from them that I still cook today, even. It's sauteed onions and bell peppers, with a little bit of garlic, crushed tomatoes, chickpeas, and various seasonings. It's almost kind of curry-esque in a way and I would serve it with brown rice. And now that I do it at home, every now and then I will add meat sometimes, but it feels nice to eat something as if they were still here with me, exploring a different kind of cuisine that I had never had before because I didn't have anyone to eat it with. One. One card. The Ace of Diamonds. You see a symbol carved into a tree. Your flashlight illuminates it, and you recognize the symbol immediately. When you were very young, this friend and you had carved the symbol into this tree and had made a pact. What was the pact, and what is the symbol? What does it represent to you in this moment? The symbol is a spiral inside of a red diamond. Well, it's not so much red on this tree anymore, but... It's supposed to be read whenever we drew it in our notebooks. It was the pact between our two characters and one of the LARPs that we had played, or clubs as we called them, 
I was his character's brother. It was our God's game. I, I was a God of death and he was the God of the sky. And it was supposed to represent our struggle together against our enemies. The people who would see us defeated, the people who would see us dead. Right now, it represents nothing to me. I haven't played that game in so long, and hell, if I hadn't seen it on this tree, I probably wouldn't have remembered it. I don't know if Byron remembered it. Maybe. That is the end of the 11th hour. That is a four. Understanding. Travis was my first serious relationship. I had dated someone before uh, him, but it, it didn't last long and it didn't go great. Um, and well, before Travis, I had never slept with anyone. And I remember the first time that we were, that we were gonna have sex. I remember we had been watching Shameless on TV and he had gotten up to go to the bathroom and came back out and looked at me in that way. That way that I had only assumed people looked at each other whenever inviting them to do the deed, as it were. And uh, I went into his room, we kissed, and there was the moment where I had to uh, put on a condom and I had never put on a condom before and I didn't know which way it went. And he laughed at me, when, seeing that I was struggling to put it on, and he asked, what, have you never used a condom before? To which I had to answer, yes. He didn't know that I was a virgin, but he didn't care once he knew. He was very kind that way. Just because I didn't know something didn't mean that I was anything less to him. One card. The Jack of Spades. A great sickness had taken a close friend of yours years back and was at the root, but not the cause of, the stress between you and this friend. The stress between me and Robin. What was the sickness and how did it stimulate this strain and why does the pattern of your breath remind you of that lost friend? Right before we graduated high school, our friend Austin got really sick. It wasn't uncommon for him to get sick. He had a slew of autoimmune diseases, so he often dealt with chronic illnesses. But before, Austin was playing in one of our games, and the way that our D&D campaign was going, his character was kind of at the root of a lot of the plot that was going on. And Robin, being our GM at the time, didn't want to kind of play without him. And so we waited, and we waited. We never got to play that game again, and I, I think I kind of held it against Robin for a while. I really wanted to play. It was really the only thing that I did outside of going to school and going home. And I liked playing with her and our other friends, of course, but she was such a great GM, always riding along with whatever bullshit we would give her. But I didn't get to play with her again because that campaign ended. And then we all graduated and we went our separate ways. I didn't go visit Austin in the hospital. She did and some of our other friends did. And I didn't have a car to actually go, so I didn't. But I hear his breathing was shallow and sparse. 
Sometimes you couldn't even tell if he actually was breathing. And that is the end of the 12th hour. One card. The King of Clubs. A soft bell rings in the distance and causes your fingers to twitch, and your sight clouds briefly. You reach to touch something, anything that can ground you, but you can't feel anything. What do you see in your mind that anchors you back to reality in this moment? I see my bed. Back home. I spent a lot of money on it just because, you know, you spent half your life, supposedly, in bed, sleeping. It's a good investment to make sure that whatever you're sleeping on actually is comfortable and good for your body. And I wanted to make sure that both me and Travis were getting a good night's sleep. They had a very grueling job, and I wanted to make sure that, at the very least, when they got home, they could rest easy. And right now, I really want to rest easy as well. I wonder if this is how he felt after coming home from work. And that is the end of the 13th hour. Guilty. One of the biggest changes in our relationship after Travis and I started dating was that I brought my PS4 from my apartment over to his apartment so that the nights that I would stay there, I would have something to do the next morning. I would play a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2, and I was playing through the campaign for the first time. There'd be times that I would play when he obviously wanted us to do something together. Maybe not even go out, but maybe just watch something together or something like that. I don't know if it was just that he wasn't interested in Red Dead Redemption or if he didn't care for video games or if he just really wanted to watch Star Trek. Maybe it was a mixture of all of it. He never really told me, but I always felt a little guilty when I was really enjoying myself, getting really deep into the characters and playing. And he would come out of his room after having just taken a nap and had the look on his face like he wanted to play a game, that he wanted to do something. And I would keep playing my game. One card. The Eight of Clubs. On the edge of a small creek, I find a watch that belongs to M. I remember when they got this watch. Where was it from? And what was it memorializing? They had got it during their college graduation. Grandfather had given it to them. It was his father's before him and so on and so forth. It was a nice watch, silver, expensive. I don't remember the brand, but I remember um, kind of going crazy about it because apparently it was a very expensive watch. And that is the end of the 14th hour. Four cards. The Six of Hearts. You hear the huffing of a deer and the crumpling of leaves. You at least know that regardless of the dark, you aren't entirely alone. Does this bring you any measure of comfort? I don't know if the dark is hunting the creatures out here like it is hunting me. There's a small part of me that kind of hopes that it is. Maybe going after the deer will give me a little extra time. At the very least, it would mean that I'm not dying alone out here, away from all of them. 
the queen of spades. This is not my fourth queen, so despite the fact that my flashlight's battery dies and my phone battery dies, I remember that there are several used batteries in my pack, and some of them still work. So I will place this card face up and roll d6 for the candles. The Jack of Diamonds. An arbor tree is ahead of me, looming overhead. A stump in the center grows taller as I approach, sprouting branches and leaves. When my fingers finally touch the bark, it groans, the leaves falling to the ground. The branches snap and collapse, and it returns to a stump. Why does this make me think of the strain between Bobby and I's relationship? I always thought the friendship between Bobby and I would last forever. I don't think it ever really died out. I think we both still have a lot of respect and love for each other. But time really has just worn away at it. Every time we try to get together, something comes up. Either I'm busy or he's busy. And, well, it's just harder to keep up now that we're adults and we both have jobs and stuff that we're doing. The stump... The foundation is still there. The memories, the emotions, the love for each other is still there. But all of the parts that sprouted from that foundation are kind of gone now. And sometimes I think we're just friends because we were friends. And that is the end of the 14th hour. Because I have three aces on the lover... All I need to roll is a three in order to add a memory. I just rolled a three. Travis and I shared a lot of silent moments together, usually in the form of late-night cigarettes outside of his apartment. We would sit against the wall near his front door. He had a little mason jar filled with dirt and ash from cigarettes he'd smoke, and, well, we would sit out there, and he would hand me one of his blue package American Spirit cigarettes, and I would smoke it like I actually smoke cigarettes. I usually did sometimes when I was drunk, but with him was the only time I would smoke them sober. There's something calming about those moments, sitting in the dark, looking out at the street, at the occasional car that would pass. I always really enjoyed the silent moments because it's how I knew that I didn't have to put in too much effort in order for him to like me. We could just enjoy the silence. One card. The Five of Clubs. Before me sways a long, rotting bridge, stretching across a seemingly bottomless ravine. My flashlight barely illuminates a dozen feet below. As far as I can see, ahead of me are only rotten planks and frayed ropes. What about the bridge reminds you of the strain with M? And what do you do to push yourself past this obstacle? My relationship with M always felt rickety in a way, like I was crossing a path that wasn't quite stable. We were friends because we were in class together, we did a lot of the same stuff, and we seemed to genuinely enjoy each other's presence. But there was always something lingering deep beneath that, almost as if her own competitiveness made it hard for us to truly be friends because at the end of the day, while she saw me as a friend and as a colleague, she also saw me as a rival and maybe a threat. I don't really know. 
But because of that, it meant that I have to approach each situation so carefully, so as to not rile her up into a fit of competitive rage as she would threaten me with a new challenge, a new thing to undertake, something that I rarely had the time to do, but she knew I always would take it. And I guess I treat this bridge a lot like I treat them, carefully, one step at a time, hoping and praying I don't step on the wrong plank and fall deep into the abyss. And that is the end of the 15th hour. Three cards. The Four of Spades. A rotting rowboat is beached on the shore of a slow-moving river. I push out into it and begin to row downstream in the vague direction I have been heading. The canopy of the forest is not so dense in the middle of the river, and for a short while, I have a clear view of the sky and the stars. The boat begins to take on water after 15 minutes or so, and I have to paddle ashore. How does seeing the night sky make me feel in those short moments? There is this moment of calmness as I can see the sky and the stars above me. It reminds me of all the times that Robin and I would camp you know, back in high school. She happened to be a scout, actually, when we were in high school, so she would tend to do a lot of camping anyway. And she would show me some of the things she'd learned, not she'd learned to tie survival tactics that she had seen in a book or was told by a counselor. All these different thoughts run through my head while I'm paddling ashore, wondering if anything she had taught me in those brief moments can come in handy now. The King of Hearts. Bitter cold begins to sting my eyes. A longing for safety tears at me as I run even faster. Something runs behind me, but I can't bring myself to turn and look at it. What does this thing feel like on the nape of my neck as I run? It feels like a hand, a small hand, grasping at the back of my collar, almost trying to pull me backwards towards it. Maybe not so much in a way that feels threatening, but somehow in a way that feels comforting, almost to stop me from running off a ledge in front of me that I cannot see. But I know that this is a lie, and I know I have to keep running. The Eight of Hearts. Finally, my eyes adjust a bit better to the darkness, and I see a lake before me. As I stop to catch my breath, the thin needles of moonlight illuminate my reflection in the water. I see a person filled with the dark. What does the dark look like inside this reflection of me? I look down into the water, and I see a great crown of antlers upon my head. A cloak made of the dark, wrapped around my shoulders, embracing me in a warmth of eldritch black. And that is the end of the 16th hour. Adoration. Whenever Travis and I would cook back at his place, there'd be times where he would take the lead, mostly because he knew the recipe we were cooking, and so I would allow him to do it. Plus, it was his kitchen, so who was I to get in the way? And there'd be times where we'd be smoking, and I would sit in the kitchen chair that was across the room from the stovetop that he'd be working at, and I would just sit there and watch him work, moving back and forth with grace, almost like a dance, 
And I don't know, something about that grace and that confidence with which he moved. I always adored that about him. It made me feel calm and engaged in a way, like I was watching an artist at work. There was almost this feeling of every now and then I wanted to just get up and hug him from behind because I just felt so much love for him in those moments. Two cards. The Three of Hearts. A great stench of decay fills my nostrils and moist darkness clings to me even more. I see a pale figure that resembles Bobby standing before me, screeching, Why didn't you help me? What moment related to my strain are they referring to? After a project that Bobby and I was working on, uh, one time in college, we threw a rap party after it. The project was an entire school year worth of work between us and all of the people working alongside us. It was a, a momentous occasion. None of us had ever worked on anything of this size. And I mean, well, we were very proud of ourselves. And so we threw this rap party that also doubled as a roast party. Uh, we would be able to make fun of some of the people that we had been working close to this whole time uh, while also drinking and, you know, ultimately just having a good time. Bobby wasn't having a good time. Uh, Bobby, much like myself and other people, had a multitude of mental health issues that we needed to deal with. And this particular night wasn't a very good night for him. He was realizing that we were getting old and that maybe we weren't as good as we had thought. Or maybe he was just worried that he wasn't as good as he thought. And despite the fact that I could tell that he wasn't having a good time, I was. Uh, this was the biggest thing that I had ever worked on. And while he was there beside me, I roasted him, because uh, that's what we were supposed to do at that party. But I could tell that some of the jokes that I was making weren't really hitting with him. They were definitely hitting for everyone else, and I was getting loads of laughs from it. But I could tell that, well, his heart just wasn't in it. And I didn't stop them from continuing the laughter and the jokes or anything, despite the fact that I could tell that he wasn't having a good time. Because it was the first time that I was. The Eight of Diamonds. My eyes blink shut for a brief moment, and it feels like ages as I recall years past. Me and Byron sat around a campfire, reliving a childhood story. What was the story? Byron was really good at kickball. Not really sure as of now, but back then he was really good. During one game for Jim, he and I were on opposing teams. People usually chose Byron because he was really, really good at kicking, and so people always wanted him. Uh, but he was also really good at pitching. I tended to be chosen last. I wasn't always that athletic. But I had heard one of my friends talk about the fact that they found out recently that they were actually left-footed, almost as if one could have a specific coordination with their feet as they did their hands, and that they found out that they were actually a much better kicker when they used their left foot. And, well, I wondered if the same were true for me. And so, when master pitcher Byron had me up at the plate, everyone tended to think that, well, it was going to be an easy out. I wasn't very good, but then I tried to kick with my left foot, and lo and behold, 
I was actually left-footed. It was a home run. Kicked it clear over the fence. Everybody was shocked and amazed, as was I. But Byron actually looked at me kind of proud. He was the only one that I think actually thought I could do it. And that is the end of the 17th hour. Comfort. A lot of my memories with Travis are of the two of us on his couch watching Shameless. I had heard of the show before, but hadn't really got into it until he introduced me to it. And I almost immediately fell in love with the characters and tone and cinematography of the show. And there are a lot of times that we would just sit there and watch it for hours. And on occasion, we would fall asleep in each other's arms watching the show. I don't know why, whenever I was near them, I always felt tired, at ease, comfortable. It was so easy to fall asleep next to him. One card. The King of Diamonds. I huddle inside a knot of roots, attempting to warm myself. I find a cigarette in my pocket. Is it mine? Do I smoke it or do I throw it away, and why? It's actually one of Travis's, or one that he gave me. I didn't really smoke outside of drinking or whenever I was at his apartment, but he gave me one right before he left home to go to work the day he got in that car accident. He said it was his last one anyways, and that he was going to buy another pack on his way home. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I didn't really smoke. I didn't throw it away, because it was, well, the last thing that he gave me. I did throw it away then, and I'm not going to throw it away now. And that is the end of the 18th hour. One card. The Seven of Diamonds. A body swings in the trees ahead of me. Branches of the tree grow out of the corpse's throat while other limbs embrace them. As I approach, I can see it stirring. It points and groans at me. I can almost hear my name gurgling from the throat of the headless corpse. What do I do? I sit at the base of the tree, listening to the choked version of my name struggling to escape the throat of this, of this hanged body. I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to go right now. And this is the closest thing to a person that I've seen. And maybe this is the last time I will hear someone say my name. And that is the end of the 19th hour. Occupied. Travis occupied my life in a way that no one else had ever had. Basically, every time I wasn't working or at school, I was at Travis's house. I barely even went to my own apartment other than to get clothes every now and then or having to take care of stuff back there. And as soon as I was done, I would go back to Travis's. I just liked being there, more so than I liked being anywhere else. One card. The Queen of Clubs. This is not my fourth queen. And despite the fact that I lose hope, slump to my knees, and drop my flickering flashlight, I remember the time that Bobby and I wrote our first script together. It ended up changing a lot by the time that we were actually finally done for it and ready to pitch it as the first show for a large-scale project that we were working on. 
But I remember the ferocity in which we would throw ideas back and forth at each other about this wild story of two friends stuck in a larger conspiracy after having accidentally run over a random pedestrian. I think I was at my most creative when I was with Bobby, when I was able to bounce ideas off of him. And he was able to bounce ideas off of me, and we would spiral into the most wild and nonsensical stories. But they were so enthralling, probably because we were so passionate about them. And so I get up and run. And that is the end of the 20th hour. Regretful. I have so many regrets about things that I never got to say to Travis. The night before the day he died, we got into a brief argument. Some things had been troubling me, mostly about myself, but it was putting a strain on our relationship because I needed to take time to be able to understand, well, what exactly I needed or what I thought I needed at the time. And I said things to him that I didn't mean and things that I never got a chance to apologize about. Two cards. The Seven of Clubs. I blink, only to find myself sitting quietly at a dining table. A wooden lamp flickers as it illuminates a wallpapered dining room. Steaming food before me beckons me to eat it. As I stare, I realize how wrong everything is. What particularly tips me off, and how do I escape this hallucination? The food here is rotting. Despite this fact that it has the smell of every delicious meal I've ever had in my life combined, the aromas of sweet fruits, salty meats, savory sauces with a bit of acidity that tickles my tongue in the way that I like, I know that this food isn't real. I know that this food is a trap. And so I push away from the table and I run away. The Two of Clubs. A bark pierces the silence, followed by panting and padding of paws on leaves. I hear another gentle wolf. Try as I might, I can't find any sign of a dog, but it sounds familiar. So familiar. Why? It sounds like Sandy, my first dog. Uh, it was my cousin's boyfriend at the time. He had this dog that he needed to get rid of and, well, didn't want to give it to a shelter, and I'd always wanted a pet, a pet that wasn't a fish at the very least. And so despite the fact that my mom had some misgivings about the whole idea, she, she let me have Sandy. She was this cute little beagle pup so full of energy and life and had the cutest bark. Sadly, two years later, we had to give her away because we were moving into a place that didn't allow dogs. And that is the end of the 21st hour. Simple. Things were so simple with Travis. I didn't have to do a lot of work to make things work with Travis. We could just sit in silence, either smoking or watching TV or even the times when I was playing video games and I could tell that he wanted to do something else. He still sat there next to me, watching intently, asking me questions about what was going on. I didn't have to try too hard or justify my presence. I could just be there and he would love me all the same.
four cards, the two of spades. I stumble across the remains of a shack. The walls are crumbling and the roof has caved in, but it's a safe place to take a few moments to breathe. What do I do to steal myself? I pace. Whenever I'm thinking, I'm pacing. Uh, for whatever reason, the motion allows me to think better. I don't know if it's a blood flow thing as I'm walking, blood is flowing to my brain so I can think easier or something like that. I don't know if any of that's true, but pacing is what helps me. Whenever I know that I have to make a big decision or do something that I wasn't prepared to. The Seven of Spades. A slithering and a giggling comes from my left side, then my right. The dark is low and creeping around my feet. What does it look like? Or what does it do when it wraps around my ankles? What do I do in response? The dark looks like a pair of hands, grabbing at me softly. I let it. There's almost a warmth to its hands. The Jack of Hearts. Howls echo through the forest. I can feel the darkness recede for a moment before rushing back around me. What does it feel like when I'm clenched by it once again? Like an embrace. As it pulls me down to the ground, I feel myself wrapped in its clutch. I don't know if I can escape it. It's strong, much stronger than me. And I'm so tired. I just want it to be over. The Queen of Hearts. This is my fourth queen I've drawn. I have fallen into a pit covered by sticks and leaves. I have lost my will to fight, and the darkness slowly consumes me alone at the bottom of this hole. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tales Yet Told. This was a wild experience. Uh, whew. That was a lot. Uh, that was a lot. Uh, and I ended up, man, something about solo games, I guess. And I don't know if this is normally the experience because I don't really have anyone else to bounce like ideas and like concepts off of. I end up just having to really take parts of my own uh, past and my own history and kind of embed that into the story. And I don't know, it makes these, it makes this feel so much more intimate in that way, I, I, which I guess is the point, you know? I really like this, actually. Um, the Dark, uh, whew, this definitely did give me the sense of, like, being the last person and, like, that sense of loneliness. Uh, I think I got particularly lucky um, because I only rolled one six for the candles, so I still have three of my four candles left. Uh, and I've gone through most of the deck, actually. I, on I literally only have three cards left in this deck. And had I not drawn the queen, then I actually also would have had my last note to put onto the Joker so that uh, I, 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 was, I was literally one card away from possibly uh, winning this game, which is kind of wild. <laughs> but fate had other ideas, I guess. So yeah, uh, again, this was The Dark, a solo horror RPG by Kirby Franklin of Disaster Tourism. You can find more of their games and more info on all the stuff that they're working on on Twitter at DTRPGs, and you can find all of their games at disastertourism.games. 
Uh, thank you all so much for listening. As always, uh, new episodes of this come out every other Wednesday. And, and don't forget to uh, leave a review or tell your friends on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podchaser, or, you know, wherever else you're listening to this. If it allows you to rate and review, please do that, because it's really the only way that we can get more information out there for people so we can keep growing this little community of people who like listening to the stuff that we're putting out, I guess. And uh, it also lets us know how you are feeling about the show and, like, other ideas and stuff from you all. All in all, it's just really helpful, and I would appreciate if you did it. You can also find us again on Twitter and Instagram at Tales Yet Told for more information about new episodes coming out, art that we're putting out, and all of that fun stuff. I've been your host, Kendo, or Kendrick, whichever you prefer, and you can find me everywhere on the internet at Kendo Makes Films. This has been a great time, everyone, and I can't wait to uh, do some new stuff that's coming soon i know you all have seen it already by now but our new mini arc that we're about to go into whispers in the sea is a pirate game and i'm very excited to uh essentially give more information out for all of you you'll be seeing tweets and stuff and all that blah 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 yeah you get it Uh, by this point you all are probably not listening and want to get on with your lives and you know what i appreciate it that you took any time out of your day to listen to us it means a lot So don't forget to go out, eat enough food, drink enough water, get enough sleep, and take care of yourself. Because self-care is very important, especially in the days we're living now. And don't forget to love yourself like we love you. Bye.